Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us. I'm excited to continue our study in John Paul II's apostolic exhortation entitled The Role of the Christian Family in the Modern World. And as I mentioned, we've passed the 40th anniversary of this apostolic exhortation. And today we're going to talk about Catholics and the emerging culture. Now, I'm going to be right up front with you. There are a few people in the church today who think John Paul II's apostolic exhortation, the role of the Christian family in the modern world, is slightly dated. And actually, I think it's right on the money in the sense that it was ahead of its time. I would like to begin today by reading twice, and it's so important, I'm going to read it twice, two sentences from section eight of the role of the Christian family in the modern world. And if you really care about our country and the direction it's going, if you're concerned about what's going on in modern culture, if you're concerned with what's going on in the church, if you're concerned with the falling away of youth and young adults, listen as I read twice. The reason I don't usually read things twice, but these two sentences are that important. Let's start. The whole church is obliged to a deep reflection and commitment so that the new culture now emerging may be evangelized in depth. The great task that has to be faced today for the renewal of society is that of recapturing the ultimate meaning of life and its fundamental values. Okay, that was first. We're going to read it a second time. The whole church is obliged to a deep reflection and commitment so that the new culture now emerging may be evangelized in depth. The great task that has to be faced today for the renewal of society is that of recapturing the ultimate meaning of life and its fundamental values. Let me just break this down a little bit. The new culture that's now emerging now, this was written in, what, 1981. Um, I lived through the period since 1981, but I have to admit, what has gone on in the last 20 years of the 40-year period since John Paul II released this apostolic exhortation, I've been shocked by what's happening in the church, in our culture, with young people, uh, the news, it's almost too too much to watch. Well, he was anticipating this. He saw a new culture emerging in the world. And if I would change the wording, update it, so to speak, it's not to fundamentally change it in any way. I would just say, yeah, you're right, except 
what he called the emerging culture is now the almost dominant culture. It's overriding the historic Judeo-Christian traditions we've had in the West and the United States. And so before we can run off, so to speak, and try to renew society, he says the great task is renewing society, but in order to do so, we have to recapture the ultimate meaning of life. Now, let me tell you something. (laughs) One of the things you want to do in evangelizing culture, evangelizing somebody who's not in the church, is that you want to look for an open door. The reason you're hearing my voice on a faith and family broadcast is, again, because of John Paul II, who described how the modern world is so closed to the gospel as we have commonly proclaimed it to society. But he did say that the way to evangelize the modern world, the way to bring the modern world back to God is through the family. In other words, people's minds and hearts are still open to hear about that. That's an open door. And when you're evangelizing, you don't use your program or what you're interested in. Um, When you're fishing, you don't drop your favorite piece of hardware down in the water and hope to catch a fish. No, you drop something in the water, a lure that the fish would find attractive, okay? And fishing and evangelism, Jesus thought they were somehow connected. They're good teaching modules. So for the modern world, one of the open doors alongside of the whole family and marriage issues is the whole notion of life purpose. And John Paul II says, okay, if we're going to really evangelize in depth, if we're going to truly renew society, we got to capture the ultimate meaning of life. Let me give you a headline from USA Today. And they had a question for their readers. And the question was this. What if you ask God a question and could get a direct and immediate answer? What would be your question? Okay. And we want to listen to these things because these are our open doors. And the response from readers to USA Today, the number one response is this. What is my purpose here? What is my purpose here? What did John Paul II? We have to recapture the ultimate meaning of life. Yeah, we have a new culture. We have a lot of great technological gadgets and all this kind of stuff. But we've lost why we're even on this globe. What's our purpose here? And this is what we call an open door. Now, you've probably heard me refer to the Barna survey several times over the course of the years. I've been receiving Barna surveys for 30 years. Not too many people have been doing it that long. In fact, I have in my hand one of the first ones he put out in 1991. 
It's it's a survey on teens, a generation in transition. Okay, the emerging culture. Remember, the emerging culture has emerged. Okay, we're dealing with a new world, and Barna came up with a list. Oh, I don't know, over twenty concerns to young people and rated them on their chief concerns, their kind of middle-range concerns, and the things that are minor concerns. The number one concern for teens of all ages, by that I mean 13-year-olds and 18-year-olds, and a lot of times uh, the concerns change as a young person goes through the teen years, but the number one concern among all teens having life goals, or purpose. Now, I mentioned a moment ago an open door. This is an open door wide enough to drive a semi through sideways. And this is what you're looking for. A lot of times we we come forward with our agenda, with what we want to do, but no, it's the open door. And it's really When you're preaching, when you're evangelizing, when you're broadcasting, when you're writing, when you're catechizing, when you're teaching, there should be an act of charity to recognize what is the concern of the person that you're trying to reach, not just your concern. And you want to match them up, but you start with looking for the open door. Well, this is the open door of finding a life purpose. Now, How do you find a life purpose? Well, you do that through discovering a Christian worldview. And that's the way you come up to a life purpose. And the reason so many people today, teens and adults, listeners to, or again, readers of USA Today, as well as Christians and non-Christians, a lot of people want to know what their purpose in life is. And yet, John Paul II said, we really need to look at this changing, emerging culture because their worldview is changing. And if we're going to evangelize them, if we're going to renew society, we have to come and discover the ultimate meaning of life. And you do that through worldview. Now, what's a worldview? It's kind of hard to describe, and I've got some bullet points, and then I'm going to give you Steve Wood's definition of a worldview that I wrote up a a little while ago, but these are just different ways of getting at it, so you can get the concept of what a worldview is. It's an encompassing influence that shapes your thoughts. In other words, you're thinking, right? But there's something even a little deeper beneath the surface of your thinking that influences all of your thoughts. And a lot of efforts are put in. Let's just say if you wanted to change an adult or a young person's thinking, a lot of people go straight at it. But what if, what if we paid attention to St. John Paul II and go for the ultimate meaning, go for the worldview, and then the thoughts would change without our having to do a big confrontation with people? Just, just an interesting point we might want to think about. 
What's a worldview? Here's another bullet. It's how we personally answer the core questions of life, the big questions of life. Uh, Another way to answer what is a worldview, it's how we interpret reality. It's kind of like wearing a pair of glasses and colored glasses of whatever tint, but it, it colors everything we see. It influences everything we see. Uh, a worldview is a web of beliefs about the biggest questions of life that helps you make sense of all your knowledge and all your experiences. A worldview is a structure that provides an all-encompassed understanding of God, the world, and our relation to both God and the world. And very simply, a worldview is a way to interpret reality. Now, I'll give you my definition, and you're not going to remember it, but I just want you to grasp the concept of what we're trying to do. And I'm going to give you three rather easy steps in how to instill a worldview. And George Barna has been so big on worldview, basically he left his research firm. He's joined up with a university in the southwest part of the United States, and it's the first university that I believe in America that every year as a student goes through its four-year curriculum, they measure the university student's understanding of a Christian worldview. In other words, it should be increasing as they go through college, not destroyed in university life. So in any case, this is my definition of worldview. A worldview is composed of a fundamental set of assumptions and presuppositions that exert their influence on every aspect of thought, perception, and decision-making. Since a worldview is so pervasive in our thinking processes, it is difficult to become aware of our worldview. Our worldview, practically speaking, is part of what we are. Asking someone to become fully conscious of his worldview may be as difficult as asking the leopard to become self-conscious of his spots. Now, I want to give you, I think, an astonishing, astonishing picture of the profound effects that can come from instilling a worldview. And by the way, parents, just in case you're interested, and I don't know exactly why he dates this, but George Barna believes that the prime time to instill a worldview in a child in a Christian family is between 15 months old and 13 years old. In other words, childhood. I don't know how he picked 15 months. I don't know exactly how you get a worldview across to a 15-month-old, but I do believe that childhood is the time. Let's talk about the older crew of children and what's happening today. Pew Research did a poll and found out that 85% of Catholics ages 18 to 29 believe that homosexuality should be accepted. Only 13% of Catholics in a nationwide survey, again, ages 18 to 29, believe it should be discouraged. 85%. 
Now, you might say, let's get a shovel, dig a hole, and jump in head first because it's hopeless. And it does look hopeless. But remember, when we hit things head on and we don't take a deep breath, don't use some charity and recognize those concerns that are of interest to others that may simultaneously be a glorious open door to present Christian truth, the hopeless situation could turn into a hopeful situation. Again, the Catholic ages 18 to 29, 75% favor same-sex marriage, only 19% oppose. So what do you do? Um, I get a little riled up, I must admit, when I hear an ad, a Catholic ad saying, this is the latest and greatest Catholic book or whatever or program, and it will make a saint out of your child, and will it's the only thing or it's the best thing to reach teens and such like that. You know, it's getting very, very, very difficult. And if you're a parent of school-age children, just talk to some Catholic parents in your parish of teens or young adults. It's tough, and in many cases, it's heartbreaking. So don't just go for somebody's trying to sell you. I'm not trying to sell you anything other than sell you on the idea of worldview, and it doesn't cost a whole lot, okay? Now, this is the difference that worldview makes. Now, if you go head on, okay, and try to convince some Catholic young person that same-sex marriage is wrong or homosexuality shouldn't be openly accepted by law and this and this and that, um, you're going to be called a hater and just shut down, okay? That, that's it. That'll be the end of the conversation. Now, what if you, instead of arguing and fighting and getting shut down because there's no open door, why not promote, teach, instill, and share worldview? Here's the difference a person's worldview makes and how it affects their views of morally accepted behavior. It's back to George Barna. With a Christian worldview, a person is 15 times less likely to accept homosexual relations. Everybody's concerned with young people and cohabitation. And the answers are usually a Catholic uh, comedian hyphen chastity speaker or theology of the body. If you think they're going to work in today's world, more power to you, okay? But with, and this is a nationwide survey, this is done professionally with a worldview, a young person is 31 times less likely to accept cohabitation as morally acceptable behavior. Wow. Wow. And we didn't even fight. We answered their deepest question and longing for teenagers and adults nationwide. So I hope the question that you're having is, okay, how do we do this? Well, I've done a series 
And if you contact us here at the Family Life Center, just uh, write askthehost at gmail.com. I don't have it at my fingertips, but I've done a multiple series of broadcasts we put together on Worldview, and you, you can get those. And it's basically the series revolves around seven questions. And if your child for instance, if I was a principal of a uh, Catholic school, I would kind of do what George Barn is doing out in that Arizona Christian University. I would be measuring worldview. I would be coaching the teachers and the staff and the football coaches and everybody else that this is what we want to produce. So make this a part of your teaching, okay, while we have these young people here. So they go through the seven questions. But to get to the point that we're talking about today and that John Paul II is talking about rediscovering the ultimate meaning of life is the way to reach the emerging culture that has now emerged is only three questions, okay? And if you get first two questions, then you can kind of reflect properly on answering the question, what is my meaning in life? That's question number three. But the first two questions have to precede what's, what am I doing here, the, the life purpose, what's my meaning in life? And these are the two questions. Question number one, where do I come from? That is, what's my origin? And then number two, where am I going? And what happens to me after I die? And... I just try to frame this so I'm just kind of pointing you in the right direction. I'm not talking about necessarily the state after we die until the second coming of Christ. But I'm talking about for all eternity, where are we going to be if we're faithful to Christ? What's life going to be like and everything else? So where do I come from and where am I going? Now, did I just pull these out of the air? At least just like another promise that this is the thing, so to speak, buy this and you'll make your teen uh, all of a sudden into a great Catholic young person. No, this actually comes from section 282 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And here it is. Where do we come from? Where are we going? What is our origin? What is our end? These two questions, the first about the origin and the second about the end, are inseparable. They are decisive for the meaning and orientation of our life and actions. That means worldview, the meaning and orientation of our life and actions. So, what grade, if I was to grade, the overall Catholic uh teaching of worldview in Catholic colleges, Catholic schools, youth groups, uh, catechism classes, confirmation classes, um, the whole bit, okay? How good a job are they doing on answering questions one and two for young people? <laughs> that was a nervous kind of laugh. Um, there are some good exceptions there are some very good exceptions, but overall, I would give the grade of a D minus. Now, the only reason I give a D minus is that I'm too scared to 
give the grade, I honestly believe, because I'm afraid at that point I would be plunged into the cistern that Jeremiah was tossed into when people didn't like his prophetic message. They let him sink into the mire. So since I'm a chicken, um, I'll just say D minus. And D minus means that unless something changes, it is going to be utterly hopeless to reach the emerging culture, despite our shiny books and programs and conferences and speaker circuits and you name it, all, all the stuff, so to speak. This is where we really need to drill down and focus, and it's being overlooked. And it's something that we can't overlook. Uh, the first question is generally answered in the Catholic Church for at least a half a century, if not longer, is theistic evolution. And theistic evolution is about as useful today with young people as, say, a uh, eight-track tape player, okay? Uh, it might have been good in 1950s to try to explain how evolution and Christian faith goes together, but it is not working. It will not work. And there is something that is light years ahead in reaching both the minds and the hearts of people, young and old, about how did we get here? Where did we come from? And it's called intelligent design. And again, if you contact us, ask the host at gmail.com. I have resources for intelligent design from four-year-olds to PhD candidates. Okay. Question number two, where are we going? The eternal state. There is a great fog in the minds of Christians about all ages in answering question number two, what's going to happen after I die? And again, I'm talking about the eternal state after the second coming. Most people think we're going to be in some disembodied eternal state that if we're good, our soul goes up in the sky to heaven. That's not how the Bible concludes. The Bible says we will have brand new bodies, different what will they be like? They'll be like Jesus's body when he rose from the dead. It was a real body, but it was a different body. And that real body is going to be on a new earth with real rivers and streams and land and people and cities. And this is just missed by so many young people. So these are the two questions that have to be answered so that you can get to the point of number three of answering what's my purpose in life, since worldview is the foundation of all our thought and action. And if you want to affect thoughts, you want to affect actions, you teach worldview, which is desired. These questions that people have want to be answered by all. So let's do it. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 370 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to learn more about Catholic family life.